us turn our attention now to God's Word. I ask you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus. This passage is well known, beloved, very familiar with many. And I'll be using this morning the third chapter, the episode that we'll be talking about, which is often called, you know, Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, extends into chapter 4. And this evening, Lord willing, we'll come back and uh, consider some of the things from chapter 4. This morning, turn your attention to Exodus chapter 3. Read through the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered 
throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that king, the king of Egypt, will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God bless to us the understanding of his holy word. If I were to just kind of toss out and ask parents in the congregation to start telling me examples of excuses you've heard from your children when uh, they were given a, a chore. I'm sure we could fill the hour, the afternoon, and, and into tomorrow probably. Because it just seems to be part of our nature, doesn't it? That we as a people like to make excuses. I, I, I hope it's not just my kids that I raised. Uh, I'm hoping that some of you can, can, can maybe some remember. And some of them are, are just uh, humorous. I was looking up and some excuses, some real excuses that people gave for not going to work. I was thinking, and I accidentally went to my old job, forgot where I worked. So that was their excuse. I dreamed I was fired, so I didn't think I had to show up. And we know scores of excuses just come from transportation. You know, had a flat tire. The kids hid the keys. And it could go on and on. Sports, it happens all the time. I don't know how many times my kids lost games because of the refs. <laughs> you see an athlete making all sorts of money, gets caught with illegal substances, but there's a reason and an excuse. Somehow, maybe his wife put it in, his, in, in the supper and he didn't know it. It, it, it. Some of these things are just absurd. But you know what they also, even as absurd and sometimes humorous as they are, we sometimes accept them, and I think it's maybe because they remind us of ourselves and the excuses we've made. And there's lots of precedent for it in the scriptures, too. Go to Genesis 1, the fall. God comes, and he's, he's meeting with Adam and Eve, 
And what's the first thing that Eve does? Make an excuse. It's a serpent. This, I was deceived. It's not my fault. Turns to Adam. It was the woman you gave me. In a sense, blaming God for his excuse. So you should absolve me. It's, it's not my fault. And so it just seems to be part of our fabric, doesn't it? Of human beings. Because as much as we don't like to, 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 re, to really come to terms with it, what does it reveal? Deep inside of us, there's a really selfish nature that is concerned about preserving me. So here we have this episode at the burning bush. An amazing sort of thing. God, you know, how many times have you said, oh, man, I, I wish God would come to me like a burning bush, even though he's given us his word and many other things. But here we are. And and I'm going to kind of go a little bit out of order here. God, in, in this burning bush, your number two is going to kind of go up to number one and number one down to number two. I, I'm not going to give you an excuse. I'm just going to tell you that's what it is, okay? So God really reveals a lot about himself, and you know, because you want to kind of take and see things from Moses' perspective a little bit. This is quite unusual. This is not your ordinary just walk the sheep through the pasture or through the wilderness. See a burning bush, and it's not consumed. And then you get closer, and out of the midst of the bush, a voice comes to you. This is not your everyday experience. So there's a part of us that wants to see how is Moses going to process all this. But what is happening here is that God is really, even introductorily, revealing himself to Moses. And, and there's, there's at least four things that are, he's revealing, and there's more, but I'm going to stick with these right off the top of uh, uh, right here what's the first thing he's revealing to Moses he's the self-existing God he he's with with without beginning no one created him and there's no end to him he comes to a bush that is not being consumed why that that defies logic it defies nature what we call nature but it is God in here and God is without beginning without end he is the self-existent God. The next thing that happens is as Moses starts to draw near, he says, well, you better watch out. Might want to stop right there. Take off your sandals. For the ground you're on is holy ground. Now, was there something special about that dirt? No. It was holy because he was coming close and approaching a holy God. And everything that is associated with God must be holy, for he is, in his character and in his nature, holy. And so right away, Moses was confronted with a self-existing God and a holy God. The next thing he's confronted with is that this God is all-knowing. Hey, Moses, oh, I know your name. <laughs> we usually don't even think of that, but... but I mean, it, it knows him by name. Yeah, Moses, I know your name, and guess what? I know of the plight of 
the people of Israel. And he goes on, and he, he actually goes on and describes some things in specificity. Um, he, he knows about the taskmasters in Egypt. He knows about how they're oppressing the Israelites. He knows uh, about the Pharaoh, and he, he knows the, the mentality. He knows the heart of Pharaoh, whether he's going to be willing to just say, oh, yes, I, I'll let you go worship your God. He says, no, I know this guy. He's got a hard heart. And, and so God is actually filling in a lot of things that maybe, and, and, and just for historical and context purposes, Moses has been away from Egypt for 40 years. So, um, and as we see in the scriptures, in God's time, that's but a breath. In human years, uh, it's, it's quite a while, you know. If, if you haven't seen somebody for 40 years, there's a lot of things to catch up on, right? Uh, if you go to a, a high school or a college reunion or something like that, and there's a whole lot of things to catch up on and things that have happened that you are completely unaware of in the lives of these other people who you used to know and spend your days with. God's aware of all of this. There's nothing hidden from him. And, and he's throwing out bits of information that make this clear to Moses. So Moses is uh, confronted immediately with a self-existing God, a holy God, an all-knowing God, and a covenant-making God. And if he hadn't hooked Moses by these first three things, when he mentions, oh, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This had profound impact to the ears of the Jewish people. Abraham, the father of, of, of their race, and, and the promises, the covenant promises that God had made to them, that the people had, had, had clung to. This was their hope. And surely now, as a Jewish people, they went into Egypt as a family. Now they have become a nation. Um, 400 years of, of hearing of, of the work of God, and this was their God, the God who came to speak to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he came to Moses. And so all of this history, all of this meaning, culturally, religiously, spiritually associated with being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was now presented to Moses. These were significant and powerful things that God revealed himself in just his initial, you might say, opening with, with Moses at the burning bush. And so now we get to the fun part, the excuses part. So Moses says, and, and it gives him the, this mission. And, but but re, realize here, we'll come to this in just a little bit. He's heard them, and he's, he's already said, I am going to deliver my people out of Egypt. God is going to deliver his people 
out of Egypt. And he's kind of like saying, and now Moses, come along. You're going to come and, and, and be, be the person who I'm going to use to send back. And, and, and it's not like, it, it's like uh, I'm, I'm calling you to this tremendous task, Moses. I hope you're really up to it, you know, because this is big. It's like, no, I'm doing this. Why don't you come on and be on my winning team? I really am calling you to do this, Moses. And Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I? Now, again, I, I, I'm not trying to throw stones or rocks at Moses. Trust me. Because really, to me, it's convicting because it, it reminds me of me. But he's... He's, his, his question is completely misdirected. And, and God's got to almost be saying, scratching, proverbially kind of scratching and said, Moses, did you not hear what we just talked about, what I just revealed to you? What I just said to you? But Moses, like most of us, is concerned about preserving him. And this is, this is really... At heart, a selfish answer. Who am I? And probably he's asking this question based on his past. You look at the first 40 years of his life, raised a prince of Egypt, given great education, afforded a lot of the privileges of the society that none of the Israel, other Israelites had. And in fact, probably thought, you know, I'm pretty hot stuff. And got a little indignant, perhaps even a little righteously indignant, when he saw an Egyptian berating uh, a Hebrew, and he went to correct it and ended up killing the Egyptian. But then he was called out by other Israelites. Who do you think you are? And so he fled from Egypt as a fugitive. So we look at his past, former prince, but he was a failure of a deliverer, and he became a fugitive. Those things will stay with a man. Women, if you didn't know, failure will stay with a man. Moses was a failure as a deliverer, and now, as a result, he was a fugitive and so based on his past, it's not really rocket science that he would say, who am I? But he was also maybe asking that question based on his present and current circumstances. What was he? A shepherd in the wilderness of Midian. Ooh, there, there's, a, there's a lovely place. Moses has spent the last 40 years of his life relegating himself to obscurity. He did become a father. He became a husband. And a shepherd. That's, that's really not on the top of your list as resumes. Especially coming from where he came from as a prince of Egypt. It was the lower rungs of society that become the shepherds. So based on his past, based on his present, it's really not that surprising that he would say, who am I? But again, this is based on an interpreting of life 
that centers around the self to a degree understandable but it's like when, when a, 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 a big event happens say 9-11 all right you ask a lot of kids you're exempt from this okay you'll ask a lot of people who were uh, engaged in just life at that time they'll be able to tell you what and where what they were doing and where they were at when those planes hit the towers in New York because it is kind of normal that we reference events and life based upon what's going on in my life and so I can tell you you know with detail and sometimes we can look so much at the detail because of what's going on in my life that we lose sight of the bigger picture and and that's why it's it's interesting here Moses asked the question and on the one hand we can kind of sympathize with him a little bit based on his past based on his current circumstances but it's misdirected and God doesn't really answer his question directly God has just put before him a plan God has put before him a, a tremendous opportunity, task, I don't know what, however you want to call it, but, but what the Israelites had been looking for and hoping for for decades and centuries is now God is saying is about to happen, I promise you, because I made this covenant way back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they're going to be getting this land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to bring the people to this, and they're going to worship me on this mountain. Who am I? I will be with you. That's the game changer. Moses asked the question in verse 11, Who am I that I should go? God says, I will be with you. So there takes a complete redirecting of our view of how we view life we put on a whole different lens and the lens is not how it impacts me the lens is what God has called me to do or be I'm going to go on to Moses second question not spend quite as much time on this then Moses said to God if I come to the people of Israel and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name what shall I say to them I think this is a little bit more of a, a, a reasonable question by Moses because in that day there were lots of different names for gods and there were gods for all sorts of different things there were gods especially in the Egyptian context there was the, the God of the Nile. There were, there were, uh, you know, the God of the seas, the God of uh, gods of of the mountains, and even in Genesis we say we see um, with Abraham even talking about God Almighty, the Lord Almighty, um, Hagar. Um, this is the God who sees, and so. So, so Moses is maybe just asking for a little bit of clarity here. Who do I tell you? Tell them. And he and he gives them this um, amazing 
name, I am who I am, which we could spend an entire morning just on, on, on this title right here. And um, it, it implies so much as well. But this is, and in, in, in most of our, our, our Bibles, because the Jews revered the name of God as, as so holy, they didn't want to pronounce it. Uh, in the Hebrew, you might not find the, the, the vowel pointings were with it, and so it was kind of, they would not pronounce it. In a lot of our New Testament, or excuse me, our, our translations, they will simply translate this word as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, uh, Lord. So uh, we've transliterated it sometimes to be Yahweh or Jehovah. The, the point of it is that God is giving them a, a name that would identify him to the people as the overarching God. Don't look at me as the God of this incident or that incident. Look at me as the God of the universe. And again, some of these things uh, that were already uh, talked about, that he is self-existent. Uh, but this this is the God that with this name, it, it, it would say enough to them. His reputation of having been with Abraham, I, uh, Jacob, and Isaac should put fear into the hearts of the people when they hear, this is the God who met with me. And um, we see this, I'll jump just a little bit ahead. This is just in, in, in uh, the New Testament, in one of Jesus' confrontations uh, with the Pharisees and their argument. And, and uh, they, they, they take umbrage with Jesus. And they say, you're, you're talking as if you're older than Abraham. And uh, you're not yet 50 years old. And he says, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to kill him. Why? They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was taking the name that God gave Moses to give to the Israelites, the holy name, the name that was not was so revered to not be pronounced. And of course, to the, to the Pharisees' ears, it was blasphemy immediately, where it should have been, oh, this God? If this God is on our side, there's good things going to happen. This God is a powerful God. This God is the covenant God. This God is the one who can deliver us. And then God even expands even more on his plans of what he plans to accomplish in Egypt and with the people. And so God, as with the first excuse, who am I that I should go? God did not really deal with Moses, but said, no, focus on me. I will be with you. And Moses' next excuse was, well, they won't listen to me. What's your name? God gives them the name, and then he expounds on what that will mean and what he will accomplish. There's a couple of things here 
that are very important, and I've kind of touched on them already, as far as how they relate to us. And the first is that of identity. Moses foremost saw his identity through his past and through his present. How do you view your identity? If I were to ask you, what is your identity? What would you say? Many of us would fall back to things that are currently in our lives. Well, I'm a teacher. Well, I work at this place. I have kids. I'm a father. I'm a mother. How many times in, in our first, though, do we go to, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and I'll be reading from chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. There's an amazing thing when Jesus Christ comes into our hearts. We talk about being saved. We talk about being forgiven. These are all true. We become new creations. And we are called to see life through a new lens. And that lens takes away a lot of our excuses, especially when they look to ourselves as far as asking ourselves, well, who am I to do this? It's interesting in this passage here, he not only says that we become a new creation, but he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we did something new at our board meeting yesterday that was really, really fun. Um, they had a lot of youth. I mean, these were kids from, I call them kids, adults, young adults, probably ages 18 to 24, someone in there. Most of them were, were either maybe a senior in high school, junior, senior in high school, through, um, we did have a couple who were in seminary. But these are people who were looking at future missions ministry. And so, um, the, the, it was supposed to be start off like a Q&A, and, and it really, it was good, but it was not going there. And, and, then, and then Henry said, tell you what, I need your elevator uh, testimony, but two minutes, just give me your testimony. And when they started going around the room giving their testimony, there were testimonies about how Christ came into my life and changed the way I see life. They were reconciled to God 
And now they saw themselves as being given the ministry of reconciliation. And now they had hearts to go become missionaries. Now, might that change? Are all of those ten or so people who gave their testimony going to become missionaries? I doubt it. It's not so much that they know exactly what they're going to do in the future. It's who they're going to serve and what their identity is going to be found in. And if their identity is found in Christ, then he will lead them to their purposes. Which is the other thing is, where are you finding your calling? Now, Gordon Smith wrote a book that I found very helpful. He talked about calling in three different ways. One is called to believe. And that's what we are. We're called to be new creations. We're called to be believers in Jesus Christ. And that is, you might say, an initial. But then he also talked about a, a general uh, also calling because there's life that happens, right? Some of these uh, young kids, there was, a, there was one, I, I won't name them out loud, but they, they're dating and a lot of people think they're going to get engaged. <laughs> Go figure. Young kids, guy and gal, similar experience, similar aspirations to go uh, uh, be missionaries in a certain way, and, and God brings their hearts together as well. When people get married, sometimes things change. Like kids, maybe. And sometimes we always want to look beyond what's right in front of us. I'll go back to, to what I was saying earlier about the joy of being able to spend uh, uh, the, the evening in a little chatter with, with Meg and Sam Spear. You know, if God's given you a spouse, he's given you a calling. God's given you children, he's given you a calling. And that's a high calling. Because we're counting until the Lord comes, generations being raised up, yet unknown, to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In ways into people who we have no idea. Who is shaping your identity? Where are you finding your calling? I have a good friend who I met really just about three years ago when I was getting ready to retire. And I use that term loosely. Um, my kids were even asking me, Dad, what are you going to do next? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. We'll see. So, so uh, I was interested in the area of, of, of Christian coaching. And so I was talking. I came across a man by the name of Tony Giles. He intrigued me, so I, I, I called him up. And, and the more we engaged each other and, and shared with one another, it, it was just uh, developed a good friendship very quickly. But Tony was in, in, involved in what he would co call Christian co or biblical Christian coaching. And I'm like, okay, because I'm talking to my son, Derek, pastor in there. You know, I, so when I was in the military, you know, I had my, my world right there, you know, and I understood a little bit. And the civilian world, I didn't understand at all. And so as I was transitioning, my son, Derek, would set me straight on a few things. And, uh, and so I was like, hey, Derek, 
Uh, this, there's this guy, he talks about biblical coaching. Okay, yeah, Dad, that's great. Biblical's the buzzword, okay? Everything's biblical these days. Oh. And so it's like uh, all the books have to have the word biblical in front of them or they weren't real, you know, doing what they were supposed to. So I went in there with a little bit of caution and suspect. But here's what Tony Giles uh, was talking about when he was talking about biblical coaching. Because he said he'd have a lot of people come to him saying, uh, and, and pastors, some lay, but he's like, you know, um, I need you to help me preach a little better. Eh, okay, not that interested, but we'll, 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 we'll see. Oh, I need to be a, a better counselor. I need to be a better this or a better that. And his point was, you know, the gospel didn't come in to make you a better you. He says, tell me, how is the gospel being pushed into your life? How's the gospel impacting what you're doing and how you're viewing the world right now? That's what I want to know. What is it? What is being a new creation meaning in your life right now? Because the, the gospel is not a self-help program. Now, are we supposed to become better? Yeah, we should lie less. We should not make as many excuses. All of these things. But is it because we're trying to clean up ourselves? Or is it because the gospel is being pushed into our lives and as we are reconciled to God, we partake in that ministry of reconciliation with others? So where do you find your identity? How is it being shaped? Where are you finding your calling? And I find that to be true at every stage and age of life. And I'd even take a well, if you'll allow me a couple of minutes to speak to my generation and older. You know, I mentioned the word, what was I going to do in retirement? You know, that's a, that's a modern kind of concept. Uh, I, I don't really see it in the scriptures. You know what? I see God using a lot of older people in the scriptures. Moses was 80 years old at this point. He may have thought his life was behind him. God's saying, no, it's just starting. And uh, the truth of the matter is, young people with young families, your lives are full. And you've got a big calling right in front of you that takes seriously and do well. Tell your kids about Jesus. They love him. My kids are out of the house. I find myself more time, resources, experience and hopefully a little more wisdom than 30 years ago how's god calling us to make sure that the gospel is passed on to the next generation so this idea of calling is not some ambiguous thing that happens maybe once in your life uh and and, and the window passes or doesn't pass but i'll just conclude with this the question is not who am i but God is with us. Many times when we come to the scriptures, if our identity is not shaped in Christ, and if we are not open to his calling, we'll be prone to find excuses. Let me pray about it. Now, I'm not saying that's always an excuse. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds, sounds pious. But how many times do we use things like that as a way to keep us from action? 
God was calling Moses to action, not to sit on the sidelines. He did it in his time and in his way and with his promises and for his purposes. What was Moses' role? To be shaped and conformed to God's purposes and plan. Is that where our hearts are? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an all-knowing, covenant-making, holy God to serve. We thank you for revealing yourself in these ways through the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who is the I Am. So, Lord, challenge us to continually be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we may find our identity in him. And so that when we look and hear your calling, we are of those who say, here I am, send me. Lord, we thank you for the reconciliation that you have caused in our hearts. And Lord, stimulate us, inspire us to be ministers of this reconciliation to a lost and needy world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.